um, uh, know about our YouTube and able to go back and watch services. Um, last week's service, I felt, is a very needy or timely, I don't know, um, message. I think every Sunday is very important, but then there's messages that come on your heart like, oh man, if we can grasp the, the power of our words and what we say about ourselves or think about ourselves or to others and all of that. So uh, just a powerful, there's a lot of powerful wisdom in the book of James and that's why we're going through it. Um, and so it's just, uh, yeah, watch every video that our church puts out, but if but really watch last week's, okay, if you only watch one. And if you're joining us today on the live stream, uh, we're glad you're with us today and I'm grateful of you uh, joining us and we pray that you be blessed by the ministry today. And as I was reading James and picking uh, what verses or, you know, there's so much wisdom and what we've called this series is practical faith for practical living. How do you you know, you want to be a Christian and live out your faith. This is some of the most practical uh, advice or, or teaching that we could have. And so um, it's hard to whittle down, you know, which one are we going to talk about, all right? Um, so this week, I was reading through, and James, um, excuse me, I got a, there we go, Sorry. I have to have stuff in my mouth, and I have a big old lifesaver that's taking up more room in my <laughs> lips than, than I can handle, so, man, you have a pastor that'll say whatever, so I, I'm not embarrassed to tell you that. I'm struggling right now with, with it, but we'll get through it here. So I'm reading James 4, and uh, come across verse 9, and I don't know what your Bible says, but... Uh, my translations, the New American Standard, I like to read that. And he, he, uh, James says, Be miserable and mourn and weep. Like, Be miserable? Like, that's not the Christian message. Come on, James, what are you saying here? I'm thinking we need a powerful and encouraging statement. Um, and uh, he gives a lot of wise advice and great principles to live by, but now he's telling me to, I need to be miserable. I thought we were always supposed to be smiling and the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? And a cheerful heart is good medicine, but now James is telling me to be miserable. Wow. So uh, that's our message today. I made a sermon title for it. You'll see it uh, in a little bit later. To be miserable. God wants you to be miserable. Amen? Oh, oh hey, hey, you got an amen. Yes. So it is a little bit strange. So let's back up and let's see if we can figure out what James is telling us to do. So starting in verse 1, he says, What is the source of quarrels? And conflicts among you. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
And you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your, your own pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Ooh. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Powerful stuff. In these 10 verses, there's a few different topics that we could, uh, that, that could be discussed. Uh, conflicts. Conflicts are caused by jealousy and coveting. And when you do that, it causes more sin. Uh, we could talk about prayer. And how uh, we don't ask so God doesn't give. Or we do ask and uh, the way which we ask it is with wrong motives as if we're you know, going to spend it on our own pleasures. We could talk about friendship with the sinful world as hostility towards God. We could talk submitting to God and resisting the devil or getting closer to God. All of those are great themes uh, great topics that we can really deep, uh, dive deep into. But overall, the topic of this paragraph is how our sin puts a division, puts a separation between us and God and others. Sin is the source of our conflicts. It's the source of our selfish motives. It's the wedge that divides our relationship with God. The devil tries everything he can to drive that wedge and uh, get us apart from God. But God. That's a, if you look up the word, that phrase, but God, there's so many uh, times in scripture where a principle is being taught and then the writer will say, but God. And goes on with a powerful, and we're going to read that in Ephesians 2. He fights for us. He gives grace that is greater, James says in, in verse 6, than all of our sin. Ephesians 2 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. God made a way through sacrificing his son, Jesus Christ, for us to be able to overcome sin and to win the victory over it in our life. After James lays out these consequences of our sin, after he tells us of the power of the grace of God, he then tells us how to obtain that grace 
how to reconcile our relationship with God. He gives us two words. And that's what I was going to make my sermon topic slide. Be miserable. And it has a little window of rain, you know, when it's pouring down rain and you can't do anything outside. It's miserable. And then I find some people like the rain and sitting and watching it rain. Like, you guys are miserable. (laughs) No, just kidding, just kidding. No, it's fine. I grew up in Washington where... But I was on the side that it didn't rain very much. Seattle rains constantly. But I chuckled a little bit when I read uh, James's words here. What is he getting at? What's he be miserable? I thought the gift of God's grace wiping away our sin should make us happy. That we would walk victoriously in Christ. But James... Uh, wants me to be miserable. That doesn't, doesn't make sense. No, the, this is actually not the two words that I uh, wanted to focus on today. These aren't the two words that um, help us to reconcile our relationship with God. The two words are found in verse 10, the last verse of this paragraph. And James says, Humble yourselves, in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up, your Bible may say. Exalt isn't meaning that God will place you on a throne for all the world to bow down to you. Oh, you've humbled yourself. You must be the most humble person, all right? Uh, I've had friends that, that give away the most humble person award, and they made a little medal and a ribbon, and we proudly display it in our office. Oh, man, I'm the most humble person, right? It's obviously a joke or not. You know, the most humble person wouldn't accept an award, right? <laughs> we would be gracious. No, we would give that award away to everyone else. That's not the way to be <laughs> humble. When we... Uh, how do we humble ourselves or what, what is um, James getting at telling us to humble ourselves? How do we do that? Sometimes uh, you can humble yourself or sometimes yourself can humble you. I don't know if that makes sense. But as I was thinking through, has there been times that I was made humble? Hmm. How do we... What times in my life have I been humbled? And, uh, you know, I like to give funny stories of our family and my life, so bear with me uh, for a moment. But this is before, this is before Becky. But I was in college, and uh, I don't mean to brag because I'm the most humble person, but uh, I played college basketball. I know. It's a really uh, proud thing in my life that. Um, I made our college basketball team, and, you know, it was really cool to um, be the talk of the, the college, like, wow, okay, look at the basketball team, man, they're awesome, and I would strut around in our uh, matching, you know, warm-ups, whatever, you know, and we were really cool, and I remembered 
Uh, I'll tell you the truth later, but let me tell you the story. <laughs> but this one, uh, so this one particular day, I'm thinking I was really cool, and um, the girls' basketball team is playing before the boys, and I'm on the, um, on, on the front row of the bleachers, and I have a basketball, and I'm just being cool because I'm awesome, and I'm dribbling the ball, and I'm looking really, really awesome, and and really proud of myself because I'm a college basketball player. That's a, that's a big deal. Whether you know it or not, it's a big deal. Um, anyway, to the story. So I'm holding a basketball, playing around, talking to my buddies, and the game's happening. And uh, if you've ever watched basketball, sometimes when they shoot a layup, the ball get wedged between the rim and the backboard, and the play stops, and... Oh, what are we going to do? How do we get the ball down? And, and so that happens. The ball gets stuck. There's probably 200 people uh, in the gym. And we had a large school. I mean, everybody came to watch us. So, you know, we had 200 people. I'm sitting in the, you know, I'm the closest one to that basket. And I have a ball. A friend of mine is, is uh, kind of across the gym. And he's smarter than I am. And he says in his mind, not, not out loud, but he says, well, I mean, if you just throw the ball up and you can knock the other ball out and it would be a really simple and fast solution, okay? Um, me, I was being cool and I was sitting there with a basketball, just what they needed to solve this problem. And so, I, oh, the basketball's stuck and the game kind of pauses and everybody's like, oh, laughing, whatever. And my friend's like, Kev, Get the ball. Oh, okay. So I didn't think about throwing the ball up. I thought I can jump up and tip the ball out. So I drop my ball and run out to the court in front of 200 people. And um, uh, I can't jump, we'll tell you that much. And so I come running up. I jump. Oh, missed it. Everybody laughs, like, oh, I can, I can do this, I can do this. And I jump up again, and I miss it. Everybody's laughing, and by that time, someone else had got the ball and walked over, and I was like, oh, and, and I, I kind of walk away. I didn't go back to my seat. I went to uh, hide somewhere. <laughs> I was humbled. Um, I, I was humbled whether I did it uh, to myself or myself did it to me. Okay, uh, the moment of, wow, I'm on a college basketball team and I'm awesome, uh, just <laughs> went out. The truth is, uh, I tried out for basketball in junior high, never made it. Uh, my high school basketball team was, I mean, there was 2,000 kids in our school. I, I had no shot at making the high school basketball team. I went to college in Ellendale, North Dakota. It's an hour south of, yeah, hour south of Jamestown. And there was maybe 300 students in the whole school. The only, the town, I mean, it's really small. And the reason I was a college basketball player is because they didn't have enough people. And so the coach actually came to me. Would you be able to uh, play and, uh, you know... Let our guys have a little bit of a break once in a while. Oh, yeah, coach, I'm in for you, man. Let's go. Let's go. I'm a college basketball player, okay? 
I had a couple other stories last night. I don't know if you guys lay up late at night wondering what you're going to say the next day, but I was trying to think through an example of me humbling myself, and it all revolves around when I think I'm cool, and, <laughs> and I'm not. There was multiple times where uh, the coach, I mean, the coach loved us and the team. We were awesome. We, we're still friends now, but there would be times in the game where the coach would get fired up and this guy made a mistake and he, the coach throws down his stuff, looks at the bench, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to replace that guy. Who am I going to replace him with? And he looks at me. No, he can stay in. He can stay in. Uh, coach, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. He didn't think I was ready to go. So, so humbling ourselves. okay? James is not teaching us about any of that, although those moments help us to stay humble and not allowed, uh, allowing the pride to build up in us. But getting back to the Bible, this, this uh, topic is one that Jesus taught over and over. And we, we learned early in James that James quotes a lot of uh, Jesus and his teachings. And G- James is the brother of Jesus. He was with him often and uh, became a leader in the early church. And so yeah, he... He uh, passes on the teachings, many teachings of Jesus. And so, what does he mean by humbling ourselves? The word exalt here or lift you up, it means to raise the spirits of the person by the blessings of salvation. When we humble ourselves, God will lift up our spirits through salvation. It mean, uh, humbling ourselves means to place God ahead of ourself, take ourself out of uh, the number one spot in our life, in our priority list. We're going to place God there, followed by others. It means to have a lowliness of mind, not loneliness, lowliness, meaning you think lesser of yourself and more of others, more of God. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. I wish I uh, wrote that myself, but someone else was uh, quoted that. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. To live in humility is to not think more highly of ourselves than we should. In the Bible, when you look up humble yourself, it's used 13 times in the New Testament, and most of the time it's with this, uh, in this same context. It's used at least 36 times. Uh, I kept finding more and more times that it would be used, but um, oftentimes, or I should say some of the times, it's used to describe a person of humble means or a place, a kingdom that was uh, brought down, um, defeated, It was humbled or a person of humble means. But the majority of the uses of this term um, can be described in in three different ways. It's uh, the Sabbath day that a person celebrating the Sabbath should humble themselves on that day. They weren't supposed to do any work, any social, um, any preparation for eating, nothing, everything. 
that day uh, was to become secondary to worshiping God. It It meant resting in the Lord. Another use of the phrase is how we should prepare ourselves to pray and to seek God. Second Chronicles 7:14. You guys probably have heard this one before. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. This verse fits right along with what James is saying, and we're going to discuss those steps later. A third use of the phrase is directing us to submit to God. In 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So, kind of a silver lining, um, a, a similarity throughout all of these scriptures is that humbling yourself is key to overcoming our sin. We must recognize that our sin is wrong. It may be fun, but it doesn't make it right. We must understand that the consequence of our sin is eternal death and that separation from God is the result of sin. As I stated earlier, God has given us a way to be reconciled. We must acknowledge our need for a Savior. And each of these steps is humbling to say, man, I I messed up big time. I, I see that I've hurt myself. I've hurt other people. I've offended God. How do I fix this? Jesus, I'm sorry for the sin in my life. And I ask you to have mercy and forgive me. All of those things are humbling to say, to speak, to pray. But humbling ourselves is necessary for salvation. Repentance is the first step in salvation. It's the feeling of conviction of our sin, the sorrow of offending God, the, the turning away from our sin and turning towards God. An interesting note Uh, is to look at how people in the Old Testament would show their repentance. Humility, uh, related to that word, is the word humiliate, which we see uh, in in our world is a very negative term. When someone is humiliated, they're kind of feeling degraded. It doesn't have really any positive, right? It's a very negative connotation. But... We see examples of people in the Bible who would purposefully humiliate themselves to show repentance. They would um, put on sackcloth and ashes for a period of time. They would sit in one spot. Or maybe they would walk around town to show uh, an outward symbol of one's inward condition, repentance of sin. Sackcloth was a garment made of goat hair, okay? kind of like uh, burlap would be nowadays is kind of a good, uh, you know, a similar picture for you. If you could imagine how uh, terribly uncomfortable it would be to wear burlap uh, all day as your garment. 
Ashes were exactly that, the ash remains from fire. They would dump them over their head or pour them on their body or they would sit, uh, pour them on the ground and sit in them. This symbol uh, was also done in mourning, um, like when Jacob uh, thought Joseph had died and he's mourning the death of his son and um, uh, <laughs> excuse me, and goes through with uh, sitting in ashes and, and wearing sackcloth. Also Mordecai in the book of Esther, when he realizes that the king has decreed that all the Jews are to be killed, Mordecai tore his clothes and puts on sackcloth and dumps ashes over his head and he's wailing and weeping and grieving, walking through the city. But I want to highlight three people uh, who use this as a symbol of their repentance. First is Job, and we've all heard his story, how God allows him to be tested and he loses everything and even uh, his, his physical body is harmed. But in the middle of it all, Job puts on sackcloth, he pours ash over himself, and he's crying out to the Lord, he's praying to God, and we eventually see that God restores Job, he restores his health, his family, his prosperity, uh, doubles everything that he uh, used to have. Another example is Daniel. In Daniel's prayer in chapter 9, he pleads with the Lord in prayer and petition, the Bible says, and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And he does this in repentance, confessing to God uh, the sins of his entire nation of Israel. He uh, is crying out to the Lord for their sins. And in response, God promises to restore Jerusalem. And he prophesies of the coming anointed one, Jesus, who we see come later on. On a larger scale than just a single person, the last illustration I want to give is that of the Ninevites. If you remember Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, Jonah, God was sending Jonah to them to uh, tell them to repent. And Jonah didn't want to. We know that story. But when, he, when Jonah finally made it to Nineveh and he proclaims the message that God sent him for, in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, the Ninevites believed God. Wow, that's awesome. And they, uh, that's what God wanted to happen, why he was sending Jonah to do that. But their response in believing God is that the entire population, everybody, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Even their animals, they put on sackcloth. The, the king took off his royal robes and he covered himself uh, with sackcloth and he sat in dust and ash. And he then he makes a powerful decree that all the people, all the animals, will not eat. All of them, including the animals, were to be covered with sackcloth. Everyone will call on God urgently. He said, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. 
It's a powerful statement from a king. And God, in fact, does relent. And he doesn't bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. It's a powerful statement. An incredible display of nationwide repentance. What would happen if we were so ashamed of our sin, if we were so contrite that our repentance was on full display? It'd be, uh, we don't do that in our culture. We don't, we don't like to look bad, right? Often, this isn't in my notes, this is extra for you, but often we will, we or our you know, moms or dads, we will defend uh, what we have done uh, so strongly that it almost makes the sin, uh, it's okay, he didn't really do that bad. Did he kill 500 people? I think it was only 499. No, it's not bad, right? No, but uh, we, we don't want uh, to be embarrassed. We don't want to be humiliated. We want to keep looking good. We don't want it to be that bad. And we, some, we might need to go back to wearing sackcloth and ashes. We need it to hurt a little bit. We're going to talk about that later. I don't want to jump ahead. But too often, we're, uh, we might explain away sin and make it like, did I really offend God? I don't, I don't know. Like, man, we, we should take it more seriously. Okay, you can stretch your feet back out. I won't stump on anyone's toes anymore. I'm sure I will, but it's the Word of God, so you can't argue with me. <laughs> so how do we humble ourselves? James 4, uh, verse 7 through 10 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Another way to say that is loyalty is divided between God and the world, is what double-minded would mean. The next few verses, I like the way the New Living Translation describes it. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom Instead of joy, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. These are the steps to humbling ourselves. Number one, submit to God, draw near to him. Each of these things we're going to see is humbling to do and very important. We need to reorder the structure in our life. God must be number one. And the one that our thoughts, our plans, our, our decisions run through. You may have made that decision before and you need to do it again. Sometimes our priorities will uh, get out of uh, order, will get mixed up and our self slowly uh, begins to uh, take over the number one spot and we think, oh, this isn't a big decision to make, I'll just make it right and pretty soon our priorities get out of line and we need to realign them as we submit to god we should daily spend time with him 
A relationship can't grow if you never spend time with the person. And God promises throughout his word, if you will come to me, I'll come to you, draw near to me. Second is to resist the devil. Don't allow the temptations uh, to get to you. Ephesians 4.27 says, don't give the devil a foothold. Meaning, don't <laughs> let the devil have a step. Don't have, let him have a place to stand in your life. Don't allow that to take place. Later in Ephesians 6, we learn of the armor of God. And in verse 11 of it, Paul exhorts us to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil is scheming against you. If you're sitting here like any other day, uh, just making it through life, you still have a target on you. The devil doesn't want you to serve God. He doesn't want you to be here. He doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to do anything uh, that has anything to do with God. So he's going to try to kill, steal, destroy you and everything that is yours. And we must fight against him. And that's possible through Jesus Christ and the armor that God gives us. Number three is to cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. This was a reference uh, James is making back to the Old Covenant and the priests um, would have a ceremonial ritual of worship that before they could enter uh, the tabernacle or even the altar uh, for worship, the priest had to wash his hands and wash his feet. For us, uh, this is repentance. We need to confess the sins uh, our hands and our hearts have committed. Jesus' death on the cross gave us that forgiveness of our sins. It's a very humbling step for us to admit our wrongs or to admit our offenses of God and to ask for his mercy and his grace to forgive us. But when we do, he is faithful and he's just and he will forgive you. The fourth step be miserable, mourn, weep, let there be tears for what you have done, sorrow and deep grief. This is a step, obviously, I referred to in the beginning, that there needs to be regret in our life. There needs to be remorse over the sins that we've committed. Uh, when we recognize what we've done, when the Holy Spirit will reveal to us if there's something that we've done that we don't uh, realize that we've sinned or we've offended someone or we've offended God, the Holy Spirit reveals that to us and we need to be sorrowful for it and try not to do it again. We can't have a uh, sin where we're saying, oh, well, I can, I know I messed up, God forgive me, go on and we're going to be quick to do it again if we don't have that remorse or regret over it and understanding the power uh, of the consequences of our sins. The fifth one uh, kind of goes hand in hand with, with that, that turn laughter into mourning and turn joy into gloom. 
The laughter and joy that he is speaking of is that from the friendship of the world. Uh, James told us in, in the earlier verses. We may think that the world is fun. We may enjoy um, hanging out with our friends, doing the things that uh, we think is fun, but that is sin and, and, and offending our relationship with God and separating us from Him. The Bible says, I, I think it's in Hebrews, where it talks about sin is fun for a season, and then you realize uh, what, it, what it has caused, the separation that it's caused. 2 Corinthians 7 Verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. To humble ourselves means the enjoyment of those sins needs to end. There needs to be godly sorrow in our heart that, oh man, I really messed up. I've, I've offended God. And I need saved. I need salvation. I need to um, reconcile uh, that gap and that, that division between me and him. I need that to be fixed. Worship team, would you come? I want to conclude uh, with this. Relationship with God, no matter where we're at in our relationship with him. If you've never asked Jesus uh, into your life, you've never began a relationship with him, or maybe you have, you know, 500 times, right? We can always repair and reconcile that relationship and that, that um, we can uh, fill that gap, be brought back together through uh, Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he died on the cross for our sins. When we've done all of this, check out what happens. David writes in Psalm uh, 30, to you, Lord, I called to the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. God doesn't want you living in the sackcloth. He doesn't want you to be miserable for all time. You messed up and now you, you've, you have to be miserable for the rest of your life. No, he wants to see your repentance and he wants to remove uh, the sorrow from your life. He wants to remove uh, that mourning. And he's going to replace it with joy. The joy that uh, sin has stolen or broken, right? The joy of, of serving the world is exchanged for the joy of the Lord. And it's a much, much more fulfilling joy. It's much more fun. Uh, it's a... The joy of the Lord is of the redeemed. It's powerful when we can exchange that. And God does that freely for all of us. Would you stand and would you consider what is...